laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Murs and David Horning on this week's episode. You can either come from a place of being happy or being sad. So, you know, it's one thing, like the cancer joke can't come from a place of being sad or angry. You just can't. They'll bump people out. Like, it's just, that's a fact of it. So anytime that I've heard just my personal, the way that I deliver jokes, it needs to be coming from a, like, hey guys, not goofy, but like, hey guys, let's laugh about this. Like, this is, you know, like, I'm okay with laughing about it. These jokes aren't going to make me feel bad. You know, and then I think that that really translates over to like all, like I talk about the Holocaust and like, you know, and like neo-Nazis and stuff like that. It always comes from like a happier perspective. Like it comes from a, this is crazy. Like, check out this thing. It's kind of nice. When I reached out to you, I, um, you know, I, I kind of told you what this was about and you like jumped on, uh, you know, your, your, your material on cancer, which is something that, Everybody has dealt with, just like this, you know, this whole pandemic, everybody's dealing with it in their own way. Uh, everybody knows somebody who's had cancer. Everybody, you know, has dealt with it directly in some form or another. Um, so you having it um, and then being able to, to bring it on stage, uh, this, is the, this is the part of the podcast where we talk shop. I bring my tumor with me on stage every show. <laughs> in, in a jar or just like, like scoop it out? Like this is it? Yeah, in the jar, and then I... Who wants to hold it? $5. This is yeah. merch. I'm like the animal guy at a kindergarten. It's like, you guys, it's, it's not as slippery as it seems. <laughs> you ever wanted to touch a tumor, but not uh-huh. through somebody's skin? Yeah. Come on, everybody. Touch my tumor. <laughs> touch my tumor. Touch my tumor. <laughs> So you had it. You had it when you were a kid. Um, so what we do on the show is is we play like the bit and kind of talk about how you made it funny on stage, and then we we dive into it a little bit deeper. Wait, play the bit while you're playing the bit. I'm gonna walk and get my charger and bring it back. But okay, cool. you you sent us uh, two bits. Yes. which I feel like uh, one was a few months before the other, and it's kind of like the evolution of the joke. So we're gonna play both and kind of see the two different angles. Like you kind of took the same angle, but. Um, you wrote new jokes for it, which uh, I, I really enjoyed. So, yeah. Jeremy, if you want to uh, to start with Aton's, uh, what was the first one? New York Comedy Club? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, the first one was, it was actually JFL Callbacks. Okay. Um, yeah, because uh, Tom Takar was, uh, was the host. That's pretty cool. Yes, Tom Takar was the host. Uh, and this was last um, April or May. Okay, cool. Cancer survivor, that's a thing about me. <laughs> you don't need to do that. I didn't do cancer right. Uh, I didn't do it right. Like, when I had cancer, all of my favorite sports teams were bad. I don't even know this, but the best part of having cancer is getting to meet your favorite athletes. But instead, there's just a bunch of pictures of a young, bald me with New York Mets players that I don't recognize at all. Like, I could have met Derek Jeter. Makewish was like, you ought to be Derek Jeter. And I was like, no, I'm a New York Mets fan. So instead, I got to meet Benny Agbayani. You know who that is? Yeah, me neither. And then three times. I just kept on meeting you. 
player he was. The third time I met him, he recognized me before I recognized him. Which is not how make-a-wish is supposed to work. Like, I don't mean to diminish cancer. If you have cancer, it's a terrible thing. But if you had cancer and you lived in Cleveland before LeBron James came along, it was a waste of good cancer. That's all, That's all I'm saying. You can't laugh at that. Um, I mean, we can that's play so good. the one if you want. Yeah, play the. I mean, the the beginning. Play the opening again. Uh, the other one from the second one. Yeah, the second one. Uh, a little about myself. I'm a cancer survivor. That's a real thing. About <laughs> this is Venmo me. Way easier. Uh, <laughs> Venmo. I, I really didn't do cancer right. You know what I mean? I didn't do it right. When I had cancer, all of my favorite sports teams were terrible. Now the best part of having cancer is getting to meet your favorite athletes, but instead, I met the New York Rangers during an eight-year playoff drought. <laughs> this is how bad they were. When I met them, the survival percentage for my cancer in my age range was higher than their win percentage at the time. <laughs> at that point, who's meeting who? <laughs> I'd be like rolled in there and they're like, this is Aton Levine, he's 10 years old, he's in a wheelchair, he has cancer. And he's here to show you what a real winner looks like. <laughs> this is the bar. <laughs> oh cancer was, was bad. I don't know. I didn't like cancer. A lot of cancer was... Hot take. I didn't like cancer. I, uh, a lot of cancer was like volunteers forcing to sit through stuff, which was like not great. Like I got treated in New York, so every day an NYU student with a guitar would walk into my room. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, can I ruin Wonderwall for you? Is that, is that okay? One time after surgery, I was in a ton of pain. I was feeling awful. I was nauseous, and I was like, this can't get any worse. And then an eight-person Orthodox Jewish improv team walked into my room. Eight of them performed long-form improv comedy for just me and my mom. <laughs> They're like, do we get a suggestion? I'm like, here's a suggestion. Read the room. <laughs> you can't laugh at that. I love that Shark Tank joke, by the way. But uh... Thank you. It's my favorite. That Shark Tank joke is my favorite thing that I do on stage. Thing <laughs> I think Mark Cuban should run for president. That's my hot take. But, Ooh, uh... la la. Mark Cuban uh, liked that tweet. Yeah. The fact about Mark Cuban. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that goes right into who's meeting who. Uh, which is a great angle on that. I mean, that, that whole bit. I, I, um, I love that bit. I love, uh, at first when you shared the, uh, the New York comedy club bit, I was like, you're just sending this because we're from Cleveland. Mm -hmm. I was With, like, just remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. <laughs> Sports before LeBron, 95 Indians. And that's yeah. pretty much it. Um, <laughs> but uh, coming from a Cleveland sports fan to a New York Mets and a New York Rangers fan, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, it's so shitty. I picked the wrong teams. Yeah. That's like the problem <laughs> is that all the teams I picked were the bad teams. That, that's about Yankee dynasties, giant, I'm a Jet fan, giant dynasties, fucking devil dynasties. Do you, know, do you know how I bonded with Kenny? Do you remember Kenny, the GM at Carolines? Yeah. Couldn't stand that dude, right? Uh, well, first of all, one day he came in and yelled at us because everybody was laughing. He was like, this is not the time or place to laugh. And I was like, we work at a comedy club. Yeah. That's literally it. 
Um, but Keep the laughter on the stage, buddy. <laughs> so Stupid. Every comedy um, club. But, but every comedy fan. club worker. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, he's a Jets fan. I'm like, I'm a Browns fan. So we kind of like bonded in our misery and he gave me tickets to a Jets Browns game at, uh, at MetLife oh, Stadium, which is like, all right, we're friends now, I guess. Do you know that Jets Brown games are technically like league rules? It's actually technically Division Two NCAA football. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah, I read that. I've, Did I've, you know that they, it gives them SEC standings? Did you? Yeah, I've read that in the, uh, the NFL guidelines. Um, so, so I love the, those cancer jokes because you almost deflect. Like, it's not about you having cancer; it's about like feeling sorry for for the shitty sports team. Like, um, yeah. So I, my, my initial um, idea for reaching out to you for being on the show is, is uh, bringing like the, the Jewish standpoint because you have that whole like Jewish bit on uh, like Jewish lawyers and uh, which is a great bit. But then you were like, no, I want to talk about cancer because it's harder to get people to laugh at. And yeah. then, like challenge accepted. Like I love that idea. Like how did you find, because I'm sure you. How did you get cancer? Yeah, <laughs> find the cancer. How can I get it? So I can in my joke, I I will say all those jokes were probably like there's like a month of of awkward like audiences not laughing at it. And it takes a while for the audiences to be okay. It t- it take it took me a while to get the right wording and get the right like tone and rhythm and stuff. Um, to get audiences to laugh on it at it with me because it's weird. It's like so weird because like the premise is like juvenile cancer. So like, how do you, so you got to get people, the initial problem with cancer is that when you say cancer, people's buttholes tend up mm-hmm. immediately. So it's like, how do I get people's buttholes to not be so tight? And like the answer is like, you present it like, I just personally, I present a little bit goofier. I'm like, Nowadays, that whenever I open, yeah, like I, I think it, I don't remember if I do this in the beginning of that second video, but it's like I got cancer survivor. That's right. Thank you, Venmo me. Mm-hmm. Like that's you know, like that constant. Just like you're being like goofy about it and stuff like that. That Venmo me line, I think, has made talking about cancer like way easier on stage. Like straight up, it's like breaking the tension, the early, early tension of it. I th- like my whole take. Not that you need like another white straight dude like doing this but like my total take on any material like with rape and with race and stuff like that is that you have every right to say any joke you want go for it but and this is the thing that everyone forgets or everyone decides or not everyone this is the thing that like shock comics or like comics who think they're too like raw and rough for for the audience this is what they never admit is that you can say whatever you want but the audience has the right to not laugh at it like the and people have the right to hate you I don't get why that's like not a more acknowledged concept. And then more than that though, who, who goes on stage and wants to make the audience not like them? Like, I don't understand. Like if the audience isn't going to laugh at your rape joke, then why fucking do it? Like it's, there's like things like that, that I do not truly understand um, with this. I think it's those people who don't understand self-love. Like if you don't like yourself, uh-huh. you're gonna yeah. defy anybody else to. Yeah, that's just there's, there's so much of it also where like you got to realize like who you are as a person and how you present on stage and if you can tell there's jokes I cannot say like just straight up fucking fine like great I'm never gonna tell a joke about race probably 
Like, I just won't. It's not my place to do it. I just don't have the cadence. Even as, like, a goofy fucking white guy, I just don't. It's not my thing. Why does why do people have problems admitting that? Like, I don't... You, you, there's, like, so many comics that, like, will go on stage, will yell stuff, and then will be like, oh, you guys don't get it. That's why you're not laughing. Like, oh, you guys aren't, like, on my fucking... You, you know, like revolutionary level, man. <laughs> That's the best way to get audiences on your side. Yeah. Yes, to tell them <laughs> yeah. they're wrong for not laughing. That's what it is. Being, Comedy is the customer's always wrong. Being <laughs> Cleveland comics, we see that on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, well, I mean, I, I experienced that in New York. I did a Pine Box open mic and I was like, why have I just sat through a half hour of people telling the same rape joke and like not getting laughs? But why did you just keep it in your set when you just watch this comic? Like, bomb with the same premise. I think that's another thing is that like I with open like I treat every open mic like, I don't riff at open mics like I go up and I do the open mic. like I, I do the material I need to do and the reason why is because it takes so many times of saying the cancer stuff over and over and over and over to figure out where like how to say the beginning of it so that I can get to the rest of it like that's that's been like the struggle kind of like and what's great about New York is that you can do, I mean, until recently, you could do like four or five mics, you know, six mics a night if you, if you really, you know, hustled. There were days when all I would do, as a, I'm fortunate in that, you know, I got hired as a writer for stuff, which is like freelance. And I was like freelance, like directing. And, you know, like I was able to do stand up as my like thing for, for a bit. So, you know, like the, the most growth I ever had was just doing those same cancer jokes four or five mics and a show a day. And like, that's how it's really just learning how to get the audience comfortable with it. And uh, I mean, I made a joke even, or I made a joke, I made a note about the Venmo joke uh, line at the, at the beginning of uh, the stand up New York set. I mean, it's, it's such a great way to disarm the audience to like, to, I mean, you let them know that it's, that it's okay. Like you break the tension in that way. And I mean, it's, it's, it's how I specifically, there's so many, there's I, like Sarah Silverman, I think it's like a different approach to it. Well, also here's the other thing. If I was doing like a one man show or I was doing like 15 and 20 minutes or stuff like that, I think I would like, uh, I don't know if I would need the Venmo line. I think I would take the, the breath. I would think I would like uh, meander a little bit into it more. Uh, New York, I mean, the thing, the issue with New York is that uh, because there's so many comics here, like stage time usually capped to like, you know, between eight and 15 minutes. So there's like not a, a chance to like get the audience familiar with you yeah. in a lot of ways, which is why it, I, I, I now have a crash course on how to get audiences on your side within 15 seconds, because you need to get them on your side within 15 to 30 seconds. So do you, uh, do you, I mean, is that what you open with then? Just to be like, this is who I am. This is, I mean, because you have to establish who you are right away and why they should listen to you. Otherwise, you, especially yeah. with five minutes, I mean, you're getting like comic after comic after comic, and most of them prove why they shouldn't be listened to. Those, so. those five minutes, I mean, like, that's open. I mean, with, with book shows, it's usually eight to 10. Yeah. Um, and there's just less comics like on the shows. But uh, I do think that every show that I do, I make sure that the first things, the first like, chunk of my set is like if it's a book show the first chunk of my set is usually a fully complete works every time you know joke and what i have noticed or what i started to notice before stand-up kind of took a pause was that um all of those involved a quick like up top thing 
and then uh you know and then let's chat you know yeah so i mean so if you're gonna say anything that's like remotely offensive or shocking in any way shape or form you need to establish two things who you are as a person and what your intentions are by saying what you're saying they need to know what like they need to know where it's coming from otherwise if you haven't established those things then you you know you're just going to sound like an asshole or a racist or a bigot in, in i think that's also but i can I actually i that you that's a really good point about something though one of my big, big things also, like, David, you've seen me perform. I mean, I, I guess everyone has seen me perform at this point because you just watched the video. Uh, but And because <laughs> I'm huge. <laughs> uh, uh, but, like, intent and, like, where a joke is coming from. Now, this is a personal thing. I don't like Anthony Jeselnik, and I don't like Daniel Tosh. I don't like comics. And that's a personal... And it's not a lack of respect for them because, like, holy shit, those guys fucking sell. They, you know, they have... They figured out their thing. And they, you know, per, my personal comedy choice is that I, every joke I say comes from a happy place. I don't try any joke I say. It's not like, it's never like attacking. It's never like, uh, uh, I'm never trying to take someone down or something like that just because I know my tone. So I think that a lot of times when it comes to these jokes, like you have to realize or recognize like what the tone is or like where you're, what you can either come from a place of being happy or being sad. So, you know, it's one thing, like, the cancer joke can't come from a place of being sad or angry. It just can't. It'll bump people out. Like, it's just, that's a fact of it. So anytime that I, per just my personal, the way that I deliver jokes, it needs to be coming from a, like, hey, guys, not goofy, but like, hey, guys, let's laugh about this. Like, this is, you know, like, I'm okay with laughing about it. These jokes aren't going to make me feel bad, you know. And then I think that that really translates over to like all like i talk about the holocaust and like you know and like neo-nazis and stuff like that it always comes from like a happier perspective like it comes from a this is crazy like check out this thing that's kind of nuts and i don't think it'll be detrimental to tosh or anthony jesselnik's career considering you don't like them so just <laughs> yeah, no. establish that yeah. now what yeah they'll touch and go yeah. they're at home like <laughs> fuck <laughs> <laughs> I guess I got you a special that's coming out this year. That man used to host the, the 530 pit loft open mic. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never get booked at the 530 pit open mic now. <laughs> I have to wait in line and there's only 10 spots. And you have two shits. Oh, man. Um, I mean, that's such a good point, though, because your audience, like the audience is coming to a comedy show because they want to feel better by the time they're walking out the don't door. Don't attack the audience. It's like, you don't know your customer. And there are people that do attack the audience and it works. And there's people yep. that definitely do have jokes come from like a negative place. I guess the difference is that like negative and hurtful, I think is different also. Well, you, if yeah. you're going to attack the audience, you have to, you have to do it in either a non-threatening way or to establish that you're a non-threatening person. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh dude. Yes. <clears throat> Dude, there are some, and you know what's interesting? There's actually comics that I've, every comic I've talked to about this, um, the ones that are aware of their physical presence and know the vibe they have handle this so much better than the ones that have no fucking idea. And there is a, a clear line in the, oh, these people are going versus like, all right. right. <laughs> because they fucking recognize, there's a guy named Pete Stegemeyer who I love. And I think that, you know, he's doing a great job. And he's a good friend of mine. He's like this big fucking ex-military dude, cuddliest guy in the world. 
And he knows that his presence, he knows his presence. And he, I think his act is very much geared towards like, uh, I am a very intimidating human, but realistically, you know, I'm about to do a bunch of puns for you. <laughs> <laughs> and like, if you knew Pete, like do those puns. Right. That's such a good point though, because I've seen so many like good looking dude comics get on stage and be like, I can't get laid. I'm ugly. It's like, oh we're, my not, God. we're not in the same world right now. Yeah, yeah, there's. I, I could look like you. Yeah. Oh my god. I. I there's a open mic that I don't go to anymore be, uh, because uh, comedy is dead. Uh, but no, because uh, <laughs> nobody goes to it anymore. If it makes yeah. you feel better. It was a weird mic. It was a weird baby. There was a mic on like uh, that. You there's like a feedback. So everyone would everyone would you know do the five and they get like a minute of feedback on like yeah. Fridays. Um, and so often I remember thinking that there were like hot people that were going up there being like oh, I think it fucked to save my life and it. It was like, in whose universe could you not get fucked? Like, you got to be open about it. Like, be the joke should be, then I'm so hot I get I could fuck, but I don't for X Y Z reasons. Right. Yeah. Just be honest and open. Yeah. Just start like address what we're all looking at at the same time. We don't know you. Like, you're not. You know, you're not somebody that I bought tickets to come see. So. Address what everybody else is seeing, and then why is this the case? That's a good point. I fuck all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but fuck. I haven't touched another human in through a window. Oh my god! Through a window, just I would crack. I would stop talking to a close family member uh, to spoon someone. Right? <laughs> <laughs> At this point, laughing. So the whole cancer bit. Like, when did you? How? First of all, how long have you been doing stand up? I started when I was 15 Damn and then I went through, but there's this, this is a career journey to this is that I started when I was 15 and I did it. I was Israel's last comic standing in 2008 when I lived in Israel for a year, came back to America, continued doing it through college. But then I started getting hired as a writer and I was also on improv house teams during like the, the improv, you know, boom. Uh, at the pit and magnet theater. So I was like writing and I was performing. So I was like, why am I doing stand up? Stand up seems irrelevant. Like I'm getting my performance shot, you know? So for about five years, I stopped doing stand up. Then I really missed it a lot. Uh, and I just, it, it was, I saw more of a, nat, a career or it, it, it was more me. I don't know. I mean, I think I just missed it a lot and it felt like a, a very, it felt like the closest expression um, to what I wanted to do. Do you, do you find that improv has improved your stand-up writing? Like, are you yeah. are you more likely to go with ideas that you have rather than shoot them down? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. And less ideas and more stage presence. If you're if you're doing improv, I was doing improv. I was like, you know, like I was on at some points. I was on like three house teams at once. So like I was like performing like twice a week at the pit, and then like once a week at the magnet, and then I was getting also like. Indie, like I was getting asked to perform a bunch. So I was probably performing like four or five times a week just doing improv. And then with every improv, house team was also a, a one rehearsal a week. So I was just, just performing that much. Like you find out your sensibilities. Like even if it's improv, like you find out who your character is as a person. Hmm. And like you find out what you're comfortable and what works for you. So I think I'm, I, the, for instance, that, that, uh, the sketch, um, sorry, not the sketch, the, uh, Shark Tank thing. 
I mean, I don't think I would be able to, to start. I, if I had just been doing stand-up, I don't think I would have ever done something like the Shark Tank thing. But that takes years of yelling, you know. <laughs> it takes years of just, like, being on stage, being like, oh, the goofy guy, like, I'll be goofy, this is me being goofy, and just being able to project that in front of audiences is something that doesn't come from just doing stand-up. Well, I mean, I, I have great respect for a performer who can who commits to something. Like, I mean, that that's a bit that could very easily have gone wrong very early in you trying it. And so, like, commitment oh, is key to something like that working, where you're just like, like, pies and pies, and we got pies. And like, can I, you know what? I will say this very honestly. That, that joke has not done well twice, maybe. My favorite show is Shark Tank. You guys, you guys like Shark Tank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Shark Tank's awesome. Shark Tank is also just poor people begging for money. That's like what that shows. You ever notice how ordering me on Shark Tank, you need to have two things. You need to have an incredible business plan, and then you also have to have absolutely no public speaking skills whatsoever. <laughs> and this is just me or it's everyone who's on that show. It's like it's the first time they've ever seen a camera in real life, and they just devolve over five minutes. <laughs> Shark Tank thing, it's evolved and it's now become like a lot longer. It started off as like a very small thing and then it became like bigger and bigger. Never did poorly. 
and that's a brag. You can take that as gaudy and as shitty as I'll, I'll say it, but I'll talk about, I'm so proud of that joke. That joke is my favorite thing in the world. And I think it's like something that works everywhere. It like never fails. It doesn't. Uh, I mean, so I, I watched you do that same set probably six times the weekend of the, the Cleveland comedy festival. Oh my God. And like the first time I, I like, I enjoyed the shit out of it, but I mean, I knew everything that was coming and it was so fun to watch the audience, just like the laughs just kind of build the yeah. more and more you committed to it. Um, if, so- if, you, if you want to talk about the structure, you guys want to talk about the structure of it? Cause I, I think there's a, it, as it's actually interesting to me, man, I could talk about this joke specifically because it really <laughs> did. It, it's structurally so interesting to me, not interesting to me, but like, I, I'm so proud of it because it's so structurally like the bit is, you know, I, I'm rambling essentially, but there's five tent poles and it used to be one tent pole and then it was three tent poles and then it was five. It was, it used to be like, I would ramble and that'd be like, I'm a military vet. And then you would get a laugh like the, the, like that. And that used to be it. And then it was like, well, it'd be funny if I can like add a second thing. So like the second thing was like, I'm a military, like I ramble, ramble, ramble. I'm a military re- uh, vet, ramble, ramble, ramble. My wife has breast cancer. And like that was, so then that, so then it was two temples and then it was like, well, what if I just, and then like during shows I would riff randomly and there were two lines from it that, that stuck out where it was, uh, you can, you can go to peatspies.edu and buy one. <laughs> and, uh, and then there was another one that was just me going like blueberry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fi- I'll figure it out. and then you know and then and then it was like i needed and then it was like okay that's four things there needs to be i wanted one that was just like listing stuff in a row because i knew that these were like four like like one sentence jokes and then it was like almost the bridge i guess i would call it of it where it was like i just just list a bunch of like silly what's the three silly things you can think of and then it was like uh i have a mortgage out on my son uh (laughs) Uh, we are $700 million in debt. <laughs> uh, we're pre-revenue and also pre-Wi-Fi. Uh, so, so like that it became, so then it was like, that's the run. Like you, you set them up, you get like four like throwaways, then you, and then that's five. It's the rules, three, five, and seven. That's the rules. So uh, that became like the seventh thing. And then it became an ending where it was like, well, how does this end? Like naturally they just say like, what do you say sharks? You know? Do you right. think it always felt like it you're going with the flow of the audience? Like oh yeah. Sometimes I heard it and then and then I talked to you about it and you were like, oh no, I know when it goes too far. Like it it, it goes to this point every time. Yeah, and, and every and I know where I want the audience for each one of those temples. Like I know exactly how long to do because it starts off like hey sharp pies be on peat pies. I ship and I sell pies that I ship and I sell that I, sh- I ship and I sell pies that I ship and I sell that you so I sh- I ship these pies that I that I sell these pies and then like you do and there's an initial laugh there and then like over time and then eventually I'm just yelling over silence and then when <laughs> it's completely silent then it's I am a military vet. <laughs> And then it's back up. So like, and then at that point, I think also the audience kind of recognizes it a little bit. And then they're like up for the, the ebbs and flows of it. Do you yeah, think you, your, uh, do you think your improv background, uh, get, like influences the style in which you write a joke? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, 
every, I, this is unintentional, but something that I, I leaned into when I realized this was that I kept on realizing that all my jokes were like set up, punch, act out. It wasn't just set up, punch, which is what a lot of people were doing. I just, I'm not that I'm gifted, not that I say like I'm gifted, but I do, um, but I was happy that uh, I, that I was able to be the kind of comic that has the ability to do different voices and like, I can change my energy, you know, like I just, because of my improv background, like I, I got years of experience doing like characters and character work and, and it's switching between stuff. So I was, I just, I had to act out as like a natural background. So all my jokes became like set up, punch, act out. So that's directly tied to improv. That's what I noticed. Definitely. You're like your style of doing comedy has like this visual, you know, act out type, uh, manner to it where, you know, me having no background in improv at all. It, I struggle definitely in those areas of the act out part because I'm so used to the, you know, the stringent writing style of how these words go together. It's it's really it's a comfortability on stage. I'm trying to think, who are the good act out comics that I listen to? Like Nori Davis, for some reason, his name came to my head when I was thinking this right now. It's good. I feel like I was just listening to somebody. Oh, Dan Soder is someone. That's okay. Dan Soder was someone. If you rewatch Dan Soder specials, it's a little bit of the same stuff. It, not as much act out, but there is like a quick act out, like per joke and stuff that I that I remember emulating a bit. Um, or Kurt Braunholder, fucking can't uh, Matt Bronger. Yeah, dude, Matt Bronger, like, which is uh, his his writing and his his performance like match so fucking like so well. Yeah, Annoying. I mean, the act out like if you're ever looking for another beat to a joke, an act out is always an option, but the key yeah. is committing to it. Like you can't half-ass an act out. Yeah. The audience reads it immediately. And you got to be cool performing loud stuff to no response. Yeah. Like, and I mean that like completely wholeheartedly. Like I, every, every, with the exception of the Shark Tank joke, which legitimately from day one did very well. And I'll keep on uh, bragging about that. But like every, uh, almost every joke that I have that I do uh, an act out um, has involved me doing that act out for at least three days. Usually my, my joke writing process is that like, I'll write a joke, I'll try it on stage. And then within three mics, if it doesn't work, then it's cut. That means that it's, it's either a flawed premise or uh, it just needs to be reworked. Uh, most of the time it's just a flawed premise I, I find. Um, but yeah. When you, when you come up with a joke, like when you come up with it, see, me personally, if I don't laugh at an idea I have, like if I'm like, Oh, that could be funny. I, I typically don't turn that into a joke. Like personally, I have to laugh at it. I it like, I, because what I want to do is I want to share that moment of discovery that I have like authentically with the audience. It's like, Oh, I want them to see it the same way. And yeah. it takes, sometimes I will write a joke that I know is fun. Like where it's coming from is funny, but I can't communicate with that with the audience right away. And sometimes like, like I I've been working on a joke um, that I have shelved for almost two years about the alphabet um, and then just like sitting at home and fucking with it, 
it now has taken on a whole new angle, but I haven't worked on it in two years. Like, are there ever jokes like that where you put on the shelf for a while that yeah. you come back to and it's like, oh, now I'm ready to write this joke. It's almost like you don't have the skill level to do it yet. Like the idea is funny, yeah. but you haven't put that like X factor out. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, my, the way that I usually, I, first of all, I'm, I, at this point, I'm able to tell when and why a joke isn't working. And brutally, like 80% of the time, it's just not as funny as like I, I want it to be or initially think that it is. And that's just fine. And that's fine. That's the way that, you know, joke. I'm, I'm very cool with like the concept of killing your, your babies, kill your babies, throw out your, do- kill your darlings. Uh, <laughs> I you recognize if you work I've worked in so much branded content all branded content is is having them kill your darlings that's it like and so I it's the same thing for stand up if at some point it's 3 in if I'm not getting any response and I know I can look at a joke and say oh this is not funny because this because it's a weak premise no one or specific to me you know no one gets it or stuff like that then so okay so if if it is a joke that I do think works most of the time it is because, or, or what, sorry, if it's a joke that I do think is funny, that doesn't work. Most of the time it's because I'm not telling it the right way. And that involves just not doing it for a while and then coming back to it. Also, because I'm doing so many jokes at open mics, a lot of the open mic crowds are people who had seen that joke, like sometimes three times that day, like straight, like by the end of the day, like you'll be in an audience, you'll be in a room with people who probably saw your joke. Like, so I, you know, if it's not working there, then I know also like, that's like a thing. Um, yeah. Do you ever like, uh, go to, so, I mean, you go to New York, like you can do like the shrunken head mic, which is at 3 PM. Like, and then never, I don't, some mics, you don't gain anything out of it. You gain so much more out of the mics you don't go to than the mics you do go to at times. Like that's like a thing. (laughs) Like I, 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 I don't, but also I don't, this is like, this is all like based on a previous reality, you know? Yeah, like right. reali- so like realistically back in the day, if I was going to like four or five mics, like a night, then like at least one of those mics I could have probably cut out. And there's certain mics that I'll never go to again. Like any of the auto Shrek and head ones, I hated each one I went to. So I just stopped going to them. Like you don't need to go to them. There's certain rooms or like Greenwich, certain Greenwich's uh, certain mics there was never good. Like, I'm not going to go to the, why would I spend $5 to do jokes at a place that is not going to teach me anything about those jokes? Yeah, no, I'm not going to spend $5. Uh, I mean, I know that that's almost the cost of like doing business and coming out in New York, but. Um, do that. And you know what? I understand. And this, I think a lot of people are like paid mics. Oh, like I get why they need to be paid because honestly, most of the time you're taking business away from the bar. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like do the paid mics for like, if I can, I don't know, just be aware. I think just, if I could just emphasize one thing, just be confident and, and cognizant. Just like be checking in and making sure that what you're doing is it works and makes sense. Yeah, I think- well, when I do, if I do ulti- uh, multiple mics in a night, uh, my goal is to take a set that I've been, or, or like, like five minutes that I've been working on and have it evolve from the first mic of the night all the way to the last mic of the night. Um, I, but that seemed, even I, that to me seems like so much pressure you're putting on the joke. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've there are nights where I've so Cle- like we're lucky enough in Cleveland where there are a couple nights a week where you can do three mics, 
um, for a, a city the size of Cleveland is. Like, Which is great. Also, I mean, if you want to talk about like coronavirus, like game theory, I think local scenes are about to shoot up. I think there's going to be a huge emphasis on local scenes going forward. Major, uh, major, major emphasis on local scenes. Oh, I hope so. Um, yeah. I think mean, Cleveland's a great place to be for, for um, this. If you're not going to be in New York, I, New York, LA, obviously, if you can go to New York, LA, for whatever reasons, go to New York, LA. But I think that local scenes for stand-up are going to be huge going forward. Uh, you're right. People, people are going to need to be entertained. Um, luckily, in Cleveland, like we have a really good club. Uh, we have hilarities. Uh, but we're also yeah. so close to so many other major cities that, like, in, in the summer, people from those cities actually come to Cleveland to like visit. Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh, like right next to Cleveland, also. Yeah, like two hours away. Yeah, I that what I keep on thinking about, and not that what I'm saying is that uh, within these like what. Be, people are physically moving away from New York and LA. I, I think that there's going to be like not a, a calling of talent in New York that are just people that can't afford to re- like, there's a, a legitimate, a legitimate talent drain that's going to happen in New York coming yep. up over the next couple months. It's just going to happen. And then, but, you know, New York's going to suffer, but a lot of the other, and those people I think are going to suffer, but that there's, but I can't, there's no jobs here. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, even when stuff starts opening up, like how many wagering jobs are there going to be? Like all, all the infrastructure that, that fed and, and kept these comics alive in New York, uh, are just gone. Yeah. And the reason to, to be there in the first place, which is comedy is going to go away because you have the theater comics. that are going to be doing the clubs and then the club headliners are going to be features. Oh, I have a huge issue with that. I, I disagree so wholeheartedly. I know I read that also. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I cannot disagree with that more. Okay. I think it is taking the... There's a huge fucking element that he's missing out, and that's DIY. So many shows are self-produced now. Yeah, the club shows. I'm not going to be getting on any Saturday you know, shows at clubs anytime soon. Fucking fine. I wasn't getting on Saturday shows before. Most of us weren't getting on Saturday shows before this. There's certain clubs... Like, it's just... Of course... Like Mulaney is going to be doing club dates. Like, of course, you know, like until theaters open up, that's where it goes. But if, if that's the reason why your career is not going to progress, then fucking you don't have enough hustle. That's, that can't be it. It just can't be it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm like pissed at this stuff because I re- legitimately, the Roy, I love, here's the other thing. Roy Wood Jr., genius. And probably, and you know, he may be right, and I'm completely wrong, and I'll, I'll admit that. But, we we were already in a DIY space before this. Most of the shows, the shows and clubs in New York, um, you know, were becoming more produced, less house shows. Like, granted, those were the weekday shows. The weekend shows are still going to be, you know, they're going to be more competitive than ever. But it's the DIY comics that are going to succeed, not the other stuff. Yeah, you you have to have. I mean, you, you make a great point. Like, you have to have an entrepreneurial mindset. Like, you have to be yeah. like, well, this isn't like the system isn't working in my favor. Well, let me create a new system. And the fucking comics that had uh, that had uh, that were already succeeding, that were already pushing were DIY comics, right? Like, Schultz, like, fucking Schultz is crushed. Like, there's so many that like like think of Gethard. Like, think of even you know, like things like that. But it's more than that. I don't know. Like, I, think of Eugene Merman. Think of like every Brooklyn fucking comedian, uh, you know, that that came up was like that. You just can't put your faith in institutions. So you got to put them in yourself. Like, you got it's, it's yeah. I mean, you have to do that to get on stage in the first place, but... Uh, I'm past at two clubs in the... Like, I'm past at Stand Up New York and I'm past at Caroline's somehow. Yeah. Uh, actually, never... It's weird. They just passed me and then they, they never actually had me perform. Which you is, know uh, uh, Matt Levy? 
Oh, I love Matt. He actually just tagged me while we were having a conversation. Really? On this. Um, yeah, he's a good, you know, he has his, uh, his weekly like stand up round or a comedy roundup or whatever. Like, uh, he's a good dude. He was in the Cleveland Comedy Fest two years ago. I met him there. And then I did uh, his B Spot show uh, when I visited New York a year and a half ago. He's good people. And I say that uh, mostly because he asked me to send him a video and I did. And he was like, great, you're in. And I was like, great. So Matt Levy is good people. And Matt Levy is good people in general. I, I read it. He, he probably has no idea. He has no idea that this conversation is happening. No, uh, he, I, I read his like weekly comedy, like updates. I think that's yeah. what he tagged me. In there. Who knows? They're great. He has good taste. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but no, no, for real. He's, he's a good dude. I met him when he was in Cleveland and it was like, like when you meet that dude, it's almost like your old friends. Like, Wait, can I just tell you a weird email I got? I'm okay. sorry for clicking out of it. I, I was clicking back in to see Matt Levis thing. Your Bubby and I were cousins. <laughs> Hi, Aton. I enjoyed your piece on Lisa. Harry Rosenberg, first cousin. Her uncle Sam Rosenberg was my grandfather. The relatives sponsored her to come to the U.S. I mentioned my husband. You won an AVN award for your porn pair album. That sparked his interest and mine, but just a little bit. If I said more than a little, you might get the wrong idea, but hey, that'd be cool too. I should tell you the showbiz runs in our family. My brother was an actor for years. I dabbled in it. Wait for a stand copy in the 1920s. Wow. Don't be a stranger if you're in D.C. I've never heard of these people. Cousin Roberto. Oh. <laughs> you, you won the Jewish lottery. Dude, all, the, my email has just been like two things. It's been people like being like, we love, thank you so much for having this. And like, so we have a daughter. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to marry any of these people. Yeah, you got to meet her <laughs> the window at this point. No. I only <laughs> marry Asians. I want to touch back on a point you made earlier about how like it's certain spots you just stop going to after a while, which I think is fine as long as you've outgrown it as a comic. Like certain any places where you can go up, even if it's for nobody, it's still worth going up yeah. just so you can work out that material in front of nobody. Those are good spots for you to. No, yeah, I agree. I should not. To, I, I uh, yes. The answer is yes. But if I'm per, this is a personal. If I'm doing five in a day, that means that if I'm going to autos, I'm just sitting there for an hour and a half waiting to go up and do it and do comedy that I'm not going to learn personally from. So I, I would take that time is time that I'm taking from another part to stand. Like I would be writing during that time. Like I would just be doing other stuff. Yeah. You know? And I, and I agree with you, but I think once you've grown to a certain point, you're absolutely right. Those are certain, there's just certain spots where you've just outgrown. So you no longer have to go to those or you can use that time spent elsewhere. So you can let this new rush of newer comics come in and have their stage time. Uh, I, it's less than, I mean, it's, I, Cleveland's nicer about that. I think in New York, it's just like, I, uh, Mike Lawrence wrote this on, uh, years ago somewhere. And he was like, the thing about New York is that no one is actively rooting against you to fail, but no one cares if you give up. So you, everyone's, you know, people are going to be nice and stuff. And like, people like want you to succeed. I don't mean that sarcastically, but like, you know, they succeed. Yeah, great. You succeeded. Great. But no one, you know, like no one cares if you quit. They just don't. I think there's definitely an element of that in Cleveland, especially at, during this time. 
I think before all this, sure. I think we were a lot nicer about it, but now we're like, if you want to quit, that's fine. I this so many so many people. Also, we're not talking like coronavirus aside. If you have a kid now, fucking good luck. Like, yeah. and that, like I don't. There's no other way to say it. Like, I so many comedy friends. Where I'm like, how you have you have like several kids that you're now in charge of their schooling. Like, I, there's just re, these realities to it. There's going to be a huge, huge calling of people who just can't like keep up. And it's shitty, and it's like completely a privilege thing. Also, like yeah. there's so many elements to it, but like, I don't. It, it's so awful, and I could very my situation could change in a day, and I and, and that would be it for me on this. You know, like what if coronavirus, like they're like, oh, it actually targets you know a thirty year old Orthodox Jews most. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm out. You know, and I mean that, you know, maybe not as specified or whatever, but like it, it's so luck of the draw, you know. It's, it's constant changing. You have to be able to adapt with it. Um, so, I mean, if that were the case, like, I feel like you with your writing background and your journalism background and like, you know, you, I feel like you have a knowledge of, of marketing yourself uh, via social media. Um, you'd be like, all right, well, let me adapt what I'm doing to what I'm limited to now. And, and it's like, and, th- and that's what bothers me about people saying that they don't have like freedom to do what they want. You can there's this whole new marketplace now where you can create a stream of income in a matter of years that is equal to, if not better than what you've been doing with your brick and mortar thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's man. I also think that there's so many industries where like you were, you were set, like you were done. Like I, you didn't need to work anymore. Like you have your job and now that industry, those industries are gone. Yeah. Car, I, we could, I, I was listening to something about cars and like how, Car are people going to buy cars after this? If well, they don't I mean, have to go to the office, the the industry, especially in cities, the industry was heading towards automated cars. So yeah. Like, so you just order an Uber, and then a car that drives itself will roll up to your house and take you to work. You don't have to make car payments. You don't have to pay for insurance. You don't have what to if, pay for gas. What if someone? What if someone learns predictive text in a way that um, that has like a, a humor AI? I mean, I don't mean that sarcastically. What if like a humor AI is created? Like, like, you, you well, I mean, uh, comedy is just breaking uh, breaking patterns in your brain anyway. So, yeah. I mean, what if a what if a really good facial recognition or like face mask thing happens, and all of a sudden, like stand up just changes? What do you mean? It's already happening. I mean, you saw The Irishman, right? Where they made them all look younger. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> so, or what's her name in Star Wars? You know, she was in the like the last few scenes, and she wasn't oh, really? even alive for that. Yeah, and, but it still looked quirky. It but did. Like, what if? But what that's if the that start technology, of it. Yeah, but like, what if that technology gets like hypertuned, and it will get hypertuned to the point where like you're not going to be able to tell like the difference between people on stage and, and people not on stage. Yeah, like joke writing. What if fucking you can perform from your apartment in a VR tube, and it's Tupac'd into a club? Because all of a sudden, Kevin Hart can do every funny bone in, in the same hour on a weekend. Like, it's just, it, it, these are realities that, you know, no one is safe from any of this shit. Well, what, what do you think in the, in the immediate um, future, what do you think the comedy club's going to look like? Well, okay, first off, this is, I, this is all I think about nowadays. Okay, first off, 
Me it's going to come back way sooner than we think. And I think what's going to happen is that the first show is going to be controversial. It's going to be like, like those Louis shows where it was like, Louis, you know, and then everyone's going to have a, Everyone's going to be pissed off at that show. Everyone's going to be like, fuck this show. <laughs> yeah. This show fucking sucks. Like these people are killing people. Like fuck these idiots. A week later, 10 other shows are happening and everyone's trying to get on them. Within three weeks, no one gives a shit anymore. <laughs> you think mass culture is going to be, is going to live the summer? You know how hot it is outside? You ever tried, you ever worn a mask outside during 80 degree heat? Because I did that a couple days ago and I'm not, you know, I, I no one's going to be doing that. Like going for, there's just things that I, I think no one's thinking logically about like what, like the real game theory of this. So the first thing that's going to happen is that there's going to be shows that are going to come back sooner. Eventually, and, and so eventually when we're all okay with it, which is going to be way sooner than we think, um, then it's going to be limited capacity in clubs and bars that we're going to have to deal with. Eventually that 30% is going to be brought up to 50 and then 75 and then, and then, you know, and then it's going to be like back to, to normal, just like what the clubs itself are going to look like. I think that um, microphones are a thing that uh, clubs are going to have to start figuring out what to do with. Because I don't think Lysoling microphones is gonna is the answer to it. Um, I think that we're gonna see uh, very few wired microphones going forward. I think that that's that's a thing. I think they're all gonna be wireless that you can clean um, in between. Uh, is my big thing. It's gonna be own. like a nylon, you know, like the. Well, it can't bring no. It can't bring your own though. That's the issue, because it has to sync up to the sound system in the place. So I think each club or. There becomes like a universal microphone that you have to buy in order to, you know, go up. I think there's going to be like a like a little nylon tube, tube sock type deal. You throw onto the onto the microphone, you hold right. the microphone, you do your thing, take it off, and you're off stage. Yeah, like a little microphone condom yep. on top. Yeah, That's I agree be, that also. I, but I think that that has to happen off stage, though. I think yeah, this happens sure. off stage, and then you come on with it. Yeah, for sure. I think I, I I've been thinking about this, and what I do think is that they're they're going to move completely wireless because it looks it looks weird when you put it in. Do you think clubs are going to stream? Do you think? Yeah. Uh, oh my god, that's it's a good point. Okay, so the other thing is that these Zoom shows all suck. They all are bad. No one likes them. No, the audience doesn't like them. The comics don't like them. The producers don't like putting them. No one is liking them. <laughs> the reason why is because the comics are bad not that they're bad comics but because the timing and like you can't it's not like an ex, it's not stand-up it's just you're saying words in an empty room it's a monologue it's a exactly. monologue but when they start streaming zoom shows from clubs with small capacity then zoom shows become a thing because then people are going to tune in to watch actual live performance. I think at that point it becomes like, see, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I will, is that what you agree? I've been talking about this for a month and a half now. Yeah. I agree. I, I don't, I don't actively seek out zoom. Show. I'll do them if, if, if I'm asked, but uh, I don't think, but I think that eventually I think zoom is, is going to be useful later. Yeah. I was talking to a comic and he was like, uh, you know who you need to watch for these the shows like the or for like Zoom shows is the Drew Michael HBO special where it's no. just like one man show and it's like mediocre. Yeah, I mean as far as a stand up special, like you can't watch it from the standpoint that this is a stand up special. No, it's another thing. 
I'll put it this. You know what would have really made that 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 special work really well, like an audience. Well, yeah, yeah. Like it just it. You know, I I appreciated what it was. I thought that the cutaways and those like weird things with that girl were. Yeah, that was weird. But as like a baseline, like okay, here's where it started. Now, how can this evolve and get better? Two concept. Yeah, I I love the effort. I loved the effort and like it it was cool what he did. Yeah, he's just. He's such a good. He has such a good bit on suicide. <laughs> like, oh, he's, he's great as a comic. I mean, like, he's incredible as a comic. I think there's very few comics that could have pulled off what he did. Yeah, you have to be very emotive in a, in a way. You have to be like, a, your energy has to be TV ish, like sitcom, not sitcom, like CW ish. Yeah, I watched that special. And I was like, he's making a lot of good points, but the, there were very few times where I actually laughed out loud. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was a really good TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> an hour yeah. TED talk. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, so as far as uh, going back to going back to your bits to, to bring this all back, there are so many things to talk about right now. I mean, we're in yeah. such a state of flux. Um, I mean, we can talk like tragedy plus time equals comedy, but right now we're in the midst of a, of like a tragedy. So it's like it's. I feel like it's helpful to joke about it now to to create an instant perspective shift. Um, with your uh, situation of like, I mean, you were a kid when you when you uh, were diagnosed with cancer. Um, yeah. At the time, like, is like, when did you know that it was material for a joke? Like, uh, at a younger age, I kind of knew that things that people were crying about could be funny. Uh, I didn't obviously, I didn't know how uh, to make that happen. But uh, from your standpoint, like, when did you know that it was like, oh, this is material like this can be funny when i stopped doing stand-up for those five years i was i so i stopped doing stand for five years and then it came back and i remember that one of the it came back around the time like the synagogue shooting was happening to me, like the pittsburgh synagogue shooting happened i remember thinking that i didn't that uh when i was coming back i didn't want to do like like dogs are silly jokes um and that manifested in doing a lot of like Holocaust Nazi Jewish stuff and cancer stuff. So it, there was like a cognizant effort of like, if I'm going to do this, like I want to make sure that the stuff pops and like is, is deeper. So, um, I, that, so that conversation with myself changed the, uh, the stuff that I was doing. And so, I mean, the first few times that you did it, you know, how did it go? Like how, I mean, I mean, you- bad. it took a lot of open mics. I also had left, I left doing stand up for like five years. So like I went back to just doing open mics, like as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was those early open mics that were not great. And then, you know, there were some early, sh- I, early shows that just like weren't great. Cause I was like, Oh yeah. Open mic crowds are different than show crowds. Oh, like, you know, you, you know, just telling the difference between the crowds. Yeah. Did you use your, uh, your, you, because now you have this improv background uh, coming back to it. Um, how did you use that in crafting um, you, your jokes on, on your own cancer? Like, what, was it like a more of a yes hand with yourself or like that yes hand with the audience? Not, don't think of it as yes hand. It really is not like improv related more than just me being confident on stage. It was more like uh, uh, asking myself like, like, oh, why do I, what is funny about this? Like, what is funny about Makosh? What is funny about, why did, what did I think was funny? Why do I, why am I thinking that I need to make a joke about, about this Make-A-Wish thing? There must be something popping. Oh, that's why. You know, and then just like asking why it's funny and then how I feel about why it's funny. 
you use the uh, the the sports analogy very well in this, like almost okay. making people feel worse for the athletes that are yeah. like, failing at what they're doing. For oh my god! You make yourself the hero, which is such a, a flip of, a flip of the script. There was someone who I, it, it wasn't. There was someone who was like had to like explain who he was to me. Like he was like he was like I'm on the Mets. I'm like eh, I don't know. He's like no no you don't understand. Like I'm on. They just called me. Rain- that was a Rangers. You know who it was? It was uh, not as uh, fuck. Uh, Yo- Michael York, I think his name was from the Rangers. There was someone like someone on the Rangers was like, "I'm on the Rangers." He's like, "You're not on the Rangers." <laughs> he was like, "I know the Rangers." Ranger. Yeah. Uh, what made you uh, make the transition from like the Mets to the Rangers? Oh, that was one big. Jo- I mean, it wasn't true. That was one big joke that I cut in half. And then uh, did the second half of it for that. Now they were actually the one, the video, the first one from New York comedy club, that was from a JFL callback. And the second video was from submissions for the following years, JFL, uh, which I auditioned for. Um, and then coronavirus happened. So yeah, and then, but they postponed it, but we don't know. So who knows? Yeah. Did you do the, uh, the star thing bit on that? I did. And actually, you know what? I, you know what? I won't talk about my JFL audition. Too soon. I haven't talked shopping so freaking long, so this is like therapy. Same. Yeah. I know. It's, I, I could talk comedy for days. Like, uh, I, I talked to my girlfriend, and she's like, "I okay, cool. We've done this for a half hour. Can I like tell See, you?" That's about your my- first problem. In order yeah. to do comedy, you have to be alone. Yeah. Right. That's a no joy. Right? No joy. Well, that's she- why. That's why Germany isn't gonna fucking. <laughs> <laughs> ever make it because he's married uh, <laughs> to reality uh, um, uh, yeah I mean we can totally close this out as far as uh, sure comedy's good but have you tried being alone forever <laughs> you could be alone you'd be surprised how incredibly like, like lonely personal, like personal experience like personal tragedy um, what would you if, if you were to talk to a comic who has gone through like a personal tragedy, whether it's uh, their own like disease, whether it's losing somebody, whether it's, um, you, you know, whatever, how would you, if they were say, you know, like, how would you make this funny? Like, what is your advice to how to make stuff funny? Just ask how, ask yourself how you feel about it and then say, why is that funny? And then how do I feel about that being funny? I think that's how I do everything. Yeah. Is that, you know, eventually leads you. I mean, if you don't know, see, my whole thing is I know that there's something funny in any situation. I might not know what it is right away. Is that just, how yeah. you find that funny? I mean, I just, I, it just, I think that there's like, people try to be cutesy about stuff and people try to like, you know, not dance around it and like, think like, what's the cutest like what's the most interesting way to like approach this thing and like literally just saying like it's funny because the Mets suck like is all it takes like it really is all it doesn't need to be more than like just saying just like saying why is this funny like why like why is Make-A-Wish funny or like what other kinds of jokes I have a cancer I have a cancer joke about child eulogies why did I think child eulogies are funny? Because when dads give child eulogies, dads don't know their kids. <laughs> no. When they give the eulogies, they're always like, he died doing what he loved, something with robots. Like that, 
<laughs> so like the logic there is like, why is this funny? Cause dads don't know, you know, cause dads don't know their kids. And okay, so, okay here we go. Why is it funny? Cause dad don't, don't know their kids. What does that practically look at? Like act out. There you go. Set up, punch, act out. Then it's, how do I feel about it? Well, if my dad was to do a eulogy for me, his fucking eulogy would just be like, uh, he liked Legos and uh, <laughs> Rangers and Irene. <laughs> how much? How much time do I have to do? <laughs> That's it. Like that's, and then it's an act. Like I, I ask myself, like, why it's funny, and then what's the, and how to present it. Comedy is more than. And and what you do is you don't make like the serious thing funny. You make all the like the things that revolve around it funny. So you know what writing is. Do you know what I realized writing is this week? Writing is when to use big words and small words. Like that's all that writing is. Like, it doesn't need to be more than that. Like, comedy is knowing when to say, why is that funny? And knowing when to say, that's yeah, probably not funny. You never make the, the cancer funny. You never make death funny. You never make, like, Nazism funny. Like I don't it, need to invent. I think that's the other thing. Like, I don't invent, like, stories or, or things like that. Like, I'll, I'll elaborate or, like, I'll exaggerate maybe. But, like, I'm not going to. The stuff you have to invent is always the worst stuff. Hmm. Yeah, you draw from the truth of it, and that's uh, that's that's yeah. the realness of it. Um, I mean, like for me, being sick wasn't funny, but you know, going to the hospital. The rest of us, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, all that shit was funny, um, and that's what got me through it. And that's what I mean. That's that's the you know, as we bookend. Why? This, okay, here we go. Here, why why was coronavirus funny to you? To me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the coronavirus itself wasn't funny. It was my frame of mind being sick that was funny. So, it's so? almost the almost the like I'm my brain is so focused on my survival that I'm not thinking clearly. So like I got to the hospital and they were like, "We need a urine sample," and I had just peed before I left because I didn't want to pee at the hospital. So now the first thing that goes through my mind is I gotta steal somebody's. Like I, I should have brought some from. Okay, home. back. It, but okay, now so this is a great example. You're being cutesy with it. Uh, you, that is a good ending. But that first part of like, I peed before I got to the hospital, and then they were like, "Can you give us a pee test?" You're like, "No." <laughs> like that is funny. Like that's the funny part. Like just you just saying that I had to pee before I got to the hospital, and that's why they couldn't take a pee test from me is funny. Then you put all that other stuff on it. But that initial. It's just funny. Like, that's just a funny thing. And then how does it feel being... Okay, so now that you've established, the funny part is that I had to... That I peed before the hospital and then they couldn't... So how does that make you feel? What does that make you feel about you as a person that you peed before? Like, you're... Are you, you fuck up like this all the time? Like, yeah, of course, I feel like less of a person. <laughs> yeah, like, you're, of course I'm the fucking person that would, that would fuck up the pee test at a hospital... Like, that's the joke. Like, all that other shit. Like, don't worry about it. You'll get to that stuff. But just, like, don't be cutesy. I think that's it. Like, all this stuff, like, that's the joke is that, it, you know, it doesn't need to be deeper than that yet. And then once you have the building blocks of, I'm the idiot who showed up to coronavirus, to, showed up in the middle of a pandemic without the ability to pee test. Yeah. The world is falling apart. 
But my incompetence as a human. <laughs> why, why didn't I say oh. that, Pete? Why didn't I? Yeah. Like, say why, no, like, stop halfway. Don't pee at the hospital. They don't have, they don't have bathrooms at the hospital? What, I better get it out here in case there's no bathrooms at the hospital. As if the hospital isn't just places to pee. Right, it's it's using it's using the tragedy as uh, as a jumping off point versus like, the focus of the joke. I could also be totally wrong about that, and you're right. Was right, but that's how I I'm saying that's that's my lesson to you. But I mean, that's the beauty of it is is there are so many different angles on the same thing. It's like, exactly. Yeah. And then what's great is that once you get once you get the simple ideas down, then you can start like doing the trick shots and doing what was the, and what was the thing you said afterwards? Uh, so when the doctor left the room, the first thing that came to my mind was like, well, I have to steal somebody's. Like, boom, there you go. That, so that's the next part to it. Like yeah. that, you, you set up the base reality of I showed up here to, I, with, with no pee, my drug, you know, history kicks in. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm, I got to get me some, some pee. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, why would you get fake pee for a coronavirus? Test? <laughs> right. doesn't like, help me at all. <laughs> no, worst case, like best case scenario You've tested someone else's pee with coronavirus and they, like, there's no, who are you tricking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going through this whole like heist scenario in my head. Like yeah. all to distract the doctors. Like, yeah. And at the same time, you're like, why am I, why am I trying to like mission impossible myself out of proper treatment versus. <laughs> in this yeah. case, mission impossible. Uh, yeah. I want to murder myself now. You can't laugh at that. You did the tweet at the beginning of the... Uh, of oh, this. let's see where we're at. Let's see where we're at. Nope, just two. Okay, just well... Two. Fuck, well, all right. There we go. That's fine. Whatever. All right, well, let's uh, let, let's boost this followership. Uh, Aton, where can we find you on social media? Uh, Aton the goalie, E-I-T-A-N-T-H-E-G-O-A-L-I-E uh, on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Um, that is Yiddish yeah. for Instagram. And, and atonlevine.com for all your Aton Levine updates and news. Uh, Rich, you got any shout outs? What? You got any shout outs for this podcast? Uh, your article, man. No, you, do you want to shout out anything? Any, where can they find you? Rich Templeton Comedy. Rich Templeton for my roommates. At Rich Hunt Temp. Yeah, a lot of cow memes. Yeah, cow memes. A lot. Oh my god, he got hired to write for a, a cow company. I swear to God, yeah. he got hired to write memes for a cow company, and he sent them hundreds, and they picked like how many? Well, they ended up they ended up going out of business. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he made all of these cow memes, and then they went out of business. So he's been slow rolling. I would say hundreds of cow memes. Yeah. Well, then the guy who hired me <laughs> <laughs> me out of pity 15 bucks. Yeah. You got 15 bucks of cow, of cow residuals. All right. You can check those out on Rich Hunt Temp yes, Rich Hunt. on Twitter and Instagram. Super <laughs> <laughs> useful, man. If you have anything you, you want to talk about on this podcast, man, we're, we're talking shop all the time. We're just trying to find new angles to make things oh, yeah. you know, that aren't funny funny. Nah, go get married. That's my thing. Uh, <laughs> now all of a sudden I'm being attacked for having yeah, yeah. love in my life. Yeah. Enjoy getting married. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, Aton. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, man. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah. Wish you luck. Keep us keep us updated. Anytime you come to Northeast Ohio, let us know. We'll make sure that you uh, you get taken care of on shows and uh, booked at, at the right places. Uh, I'm there know, now. I'm on my way. Glad to have you back to the Midwest. Yes. All right. Have a good one, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. We'll share this with you and yes. uh, find you on the other side. Thank you. I'll see you guys. Have a good one. Yeah, yeah you too. Take it easy, man. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.